0: Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people, more like Jesus by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in our series, First Peter, hope in the midst of suffering. In this series, we will discover how to experience hope within suffering through learning how to embrace love, submission, and identity in the midst of challenges as we follow the example of Christ. We pray that this message is a blessing. If I've not met you, my name is Scott. I'm the lead pastor down at New Life Cool And, and uh, Michael Hans, our lead minister, he's not here today because he's spending time with Sarah before they have their baby, they've not had the baby yet. But uh, he's spending time with her, so you he got me. So, sorry about that. Um, but many of you don't know me. Um, so I wanna give you a little bit of a background of my history with New Life Church. 12 years ago, at the age of 33, I was not a Christian. And I was thinking to myself, there's gotta be more to life than this. I had everything you could desire. I had a high paid job, had a beautiful wife, two kids, house in burly heads, I had everything from the outside that you would see as having the perfect life, but I was empty. I felt like I had no purpose, no meaning. And so I decided to come to church one day and this was the church that I came to. Back in late 2011, I would go and sit up the back before we did the rebuilding. I'd sit in that back corner, didn't want anyone to talk to me, didn't want to know anyone. I just wanted to suss out this Christianity thing. And as the last song was playing, I'd get up and I'd bolt because I just didn't want to get caught by anyone. And so I did this for a fair few weeks and this one day, the lead minister of this church at the time, Sue Cameron, Pastor Sue Cameron, preached about the love of the Father and how much he loves us and wants to restore us as children. And I'm like, nah, this guy has no idea about my life. 33 years, I've not been walking anywhere close to what a Christian should be walking. God probably just can't wait to send me to hell. And he just kept saying it. He just kept saying it. I remember just thinking of my sons and I thought, oh, my two boys, if they'd walked away and done crazy stuff, but come back and said, dad, forgive me, help me, I would. And I'm a bad dad. I thought, Then, if that's you, then I will love and serve you the rest of my life. And so from that moment, baptized in 2012 um, and then came up through this church. I left my job where I was working, which I'll tell you more about later. Started in Bible college, three and a half years after getting saved, I was in full-time ministry as an aged care chaplain for two years, still serving and and volunteering here at New Life Church on the weekends. And then Stu Cameron asked me to come on staff here in 2016. 2019, he asked me to go and plant New Life Calling Gata and I was like, what, me? Can't you find someone else? surely there's someone else here better than me like Jason Mountjoy. Um, He goes, no, I think it's you. And I'm like, okay. So 2020 went down, started New Life Cool and Gadda and been there three and a half years and God has just been so faithful and good. He's just been so faithful and good to me and to the church down there. So that's a bit of a background of who I am and where I've come from. But we're actually starting a new sermon series today in the letter of 1 Peter And we're gonna be in it for the next eight weeks. And the main theme for this letter is hope in the midst of suffering. Who needs some of that? Who needs a bit of hope in the midst of suffering? See, Peter's letter is written to God's people who are there a misunderstood minority in the Roman Empire. They're now living under a rule of a different king, proclaiming a different king, King Jesus. And because of this reality, they're actually persecuted for their faith everywhere. But Peter teaches these Christians that this persecution, it's actually a chance to show others the powerful love of Jesus. You see, Christians are not called to fight against persecution and authorities, but to love their enemies, to witness to the power and the love and the grace of God. So we're going to be looking at this letter. We're starting right at the beginning. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 9. To God's elect, exile scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this, you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, though you have some suffering and grief of all kinds of trials, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes, even though, though refined by fire, may result in praise honor, and glory when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you've not seen Him, you love Him. And even though you don't see Him now, you believe in Him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Before I get into this message, I'd like to pray. Would you please join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, I just thank You so much for Your Word. God, Your Word is truth. It is powerful, it is active. God, I pray that you would help me preach this message with truth, with grace, and with love. Lord, that in the end, they wouldn't look to me, that only look to you, the one who brings life and life in all its fullness. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. So before I became a pastor, I used to work on the wharves up in Brisbane. You'll see a photo behind me. That's actually a Brisbane port. They're the cranes that I used to drive. I used to drive those big cranes there over the container ships. So we'd unload and load container ships. And I did that for 15 years. Did eight years in Sydney and then I moved up here and did another seven years up here in Brisbane. And interesting, I wasn't a Christian that whole time. It was only the last like sort of two and a half years that I became a Christian. So I was running in the circles with all the other guys, you know, partying and all that sort of stuff. (laughs) Stuff that I would not like to mention up here on stage and on camera. But that was a life we're living. And then I got saved and God turned my life upside down. I started walking in a new way, a new direction. But that's difficult when you work with 300 other guys that aren't walking in that same direction. And I had this conviction on my heart to, to share the gospel with them. There were so many times where I'd be in the smoker room. They'd be sitting at the table and I'd be just getting abused for my faith. They'd just be tearing strips off me. I asked one time if I could pray for someone. They said, get that beep, beep, peeping stuff out of here and kicked me out of the smoker room. And I remember just going out in the yard, going up in the crane and thinking, whinging to God, what's going on? This is not fun. Why aren't you helping me? Why do these guys act like that? I don't wanna do this anymore. And it's interesting because God speaks to me through his word. And that verse just came to me, that time where Jesus is on the cross. He says, Father, forgive them, they do not what they do. And that really touched my heart that day. Because then I thought, well, if they knew Jesus, they wouldn't do that. They're doing that because they don't know his mercy, his grace, and his love that I know. And so God was actually calling me to love them, to be kind to them, regardless of how they actually treated me, to pray for them. And this is kind of what we see here in this letter from Peter. He's trying to encourage those throughout this area that are actually being persecuted for their faith. And he gives us the context at the start. He says, to God's elect, exiles scattered throughout, the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and the sprinkling of His blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. This verse 1 and 2, it actually gives us some context to the letter. Now the letter's written around AD 62 to 64. And it's to the Gentile Christians in Asia. This is like modern day Turkey. So it's quite a large space that he's writing this letter to and it's during the reign of Nero, a Roman emperor. Now Nero was known for his cruelty and his persecution of Christians really bad. Many Christians were put to death in that time, many others were forced to flee and go into hiding. So these Christians are scattered throughout the Roman Empire and this letter is written to be passed around to all the churches in the area, all the churches in that Turkey area, that Asia area, to encourage them in the faith. This letter is not like the letter to the Corinthians or the Ephesians where Paul's actually writing directly to that church going, all this messed up stuff going, is going on in your church. Let me directly speak to that. No, Peter is actually writing to all of these churches. It's more of a general letter. So we can actually read it as somewhat of a general letter to us too. And he starts, he says, Praise be to God and our Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. I love it here how Peter actually starts with praise be to God. It's a really good lesson for us as Christians, regardless of what we're going through in life, that we actually start with praise, that we actually start with praising Him For what? He says, for His great mercy. Like I look at my old life and He's poured out this mercy upon me. It's always a great place to start and go, God, You are so merciful to me. You are worthy of praise and glory just for that alone. But it doesn't stop there. He actually gives us a free gift. And what's that gift? It's the new birth. We're actually born again. We get a new start. We're dead to sin and we're made alive in Christ. We have this new life that we get to experience and we get to experience this today in baptism. Baptism is this beautiful physical representation of a spiritual truth that when I was baptized, the old Scott and my sin died with Christ, it is buried. And when I come out of the water, I'm raised to new life in Christ Jesus because he raised from the dead. I now am a son of the most high God. We are children of God. We're sons and daughters of the Holy One. We've actually been adopted into the family and we're loved as His precious children. Church, this is beautiful. This is a beautiful wonder of the Gospel. And this new birth gives us a living hope. He says, into a living hope. This is not a dead hope or wishful thinking. But how is this a living hope? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. This is a proof of our faith that Jesus rose again to life and we are risen again to life through his sacrifice. You see, Jesus is a living hope. He's alive right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, ruling and reigning. Amen? Amen. You see, Peter kicks off with this powerful and beautiful song of praise to the wonder of the gospel. In this one verse three, Peter teaches us the Christian life is a life of hope. We've been born again to a living hope. I hope that's not based on anything in this world, but it's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It's not based on your goodness. It's not a hope in your righteousness. It's not a hope in a dead prophet. It's not a hope in a myth. It's a hope in a risen King alive right now. It's a living hope. This is the beauty and the wonder of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And through this new birth, this adoption, and this living hope, we're actually included into an inheritance. We all know what an inheritance is, right? That when you're part of a family, you receive an inheritance. It's actually stored up for you. This is awesome. We need to understand how actually great this is. That means if you get an inheritance, that means you're a family member. It can't be undone. It means you're accepted, that you are loved. It means you will receive the blessing of the Father. That's, that's you and I, everyone who puts their faith in Christ. And it's an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade because it's kept through faith by God's power. That's why this inheritance is so special because it's an internal inheritance. You see, we don't hold on to this inheritance. Oh, I can't let this go. No, God holds on to us. It's an inheritance that we're actually given, we can't lose this inheritance. How amazing is that? And see, this inheritance helps us endure this life. And you go, how, Scott? How would that help? Well, imagine I came to you and I said, guess what? Next week, you're going to receive an inheritance of $5 billion. Mm -hmm. You're never going to be sick. You're never going to have any pain. You're going to have any suffering. You're like, awesome. I'll take that. How do you think you would go through the next week? It wouldn't matter what sort of got thrown at you you kind of be like, eh, it's okay. I'm not eating today. I've got no food, but guess what? In a week's time, it's Wagyu steaks all around. <laughs> right? Understanding your inheritance helps you deal with that space in between. And he says, until you receive the fullness of it at the last day. It's this fullness of the inheritance that we will receive at Jesus' coming when he restores all things. This actually means that we benefit from being part of the family now by the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, but also there's a coming day when we will receive the full inheritance and this is eternal life, a life free from pain and suffering and sin, and we get to live in the presence of God. Who's looking forward to that day? Yeah, that's, that's actually the hope that we live in. So 1 Peter chapter 1, verses three to five, it's a foundational text for Christian hope. It tells us our hope is not based on anything in this world. It's based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Therefore, it's a living hope because it's based on the living Christ. It's incorruptible because it's not something that can be destroyed by sin or death. It's undefiled because it's not something that can be corrupted by the world. And it's unfading because it's guaranteed by God Himself, which means it's eternal. C.S. Lewis in the Screwtape Letters says, Hope is a feeling that the happy ending is still possible even when everything seems to be going wrong. Life's hard, right? Like, life is difficult. We go through pain and suffering. I'm not trying to minimise that. And Peter had a knowledge of of pain and suffering and he also had a knowledge of their suffering as well. Because he continues, he says, In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than God, which perishes, even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. He's like everything I've just said there. In all this, you greatly rejoice. Is that what we do? In all these things I've explained, you greatly rejoice, but but I understand that you go through suffering and pain. I just love Peter's pastoral heart here. He's not delusional. He's not like, just keep your head up. It's all going to be good. Don't worry about it and just pretend it's not there. That's not Peter. He's like, look, I, I understand. Understand you're going through suffering. Understand you're going through pain. Understand you're going through persecution. It says, now for a little while, away, may you have suffered grief in all kinds of trial. What trials is Peter talking about? Well, that was suffering all the things we suffer from, like sickness, mental health, poverty, relational issues but they're also suffering horrific persecution. At the time, Nero was the emperor of Rome and Nero was really, really horrific to Christians. So horrific, he would get Christians, he'd tie them up on a pole alive and he'd burn them alive to light his parties. Now, can you imagine your pastors, your friends, your family being burnt alive just to light up a party of drunken, all sorts of stuff. This is the kind of thing that these guys were going through. Peter sets the foundation for their joy, but he acknowledges their suffering and their pain that calls them to keep their mind on the victory of the cross. You see, the hope is in Jesus, not their current situation. He wanted them to keep their mind on what was to come. It all makes sense in theory, Right? But when we're facing pain, it's not easy. I know when I'm facing different trials and struggles and pain and suffering, it's not easy to keep our eyes on that inheritance. Most of the time I'm like, God, where are you? If I'm honest, God, I don't sense you here. Don't you care? And you might say, well, Peter and and you, Scott, you have no idea what I'm going through right now. And that is true. I don't know what you're suffering with. You know, often so I sit down with people through pastoral care and and they tell me what they're going through, I'm like, I have no idea what that must be like for you. I couldn't imagine going through the pain and the suffering that you're going through right now. And so I don't want to diminish what you're going through. I don't want to diminish the pain and the suffering. That's not what I want to do, but it is true. I don't know what you're going through, but I do know that it's temporary. And I do know that the inheritance is eternal. It's far beyond what we could imagine or dream to come. Romans 8, 18, Paul tells us, I consider that our present sufferings are not worthy, worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Paul's like, man, I'm suffered, big time. He was stoned, he was whipped, he was shipwrecked. He was eventually murdered for his faith. He knew what it was like to suffer, but he's like, you know that? That's not even comparable to what we're actually going to be revealed in us that when we actually see Jesus face to face. Here's the truth, Peter and Paul, both were so sure of their salvation, so sure of their inheritance to come, that their suffering somehow seemed bearable. Peter's not insensitive to their suffering, but wanting to encourage them and us in the truth. And the truth is powerful and able to carry us through that pain, that suffering and the persecution. And Peter actually continues in the next verse with this paradox of faith and says that suffering reveals the genuineness of your faith. These things have come so that proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than God, which perishes even though refined by fire. Do we know that suffering proves the genuineness of our faith? You know, only a few years back, probably about five years back, I won't go into the full details for sake of time, but me and my wife, we were scammed out of, all of our super money, hundreds of thousands of dollars gone. And when that happens and you don't look into the future, and you're like, well, what have I got for my kids in the future? It's not fun. It's not good. And the old Scott, the old Scott, 12 years ago, would have chased them down. He would have got revenge. He would have gone and found those people and got back what I deserve. Weird thing happened though. That's not what happened in my heart. I found myself praying for these guys. I found myself praying to God that they would see the error of their ways, repent and turn to Him and be restored. And I'm thinking to myself, what am I doing? Why am I doing that? You know what the crazy thing is? That, that, that suffering, that, that pain, actually revealed the genuineness of my faith that Jesus has changed my heart. He has given me a new spirit. He has given me a new heart. And after the whole thing, I was like, oh my gosh, you are good, God. Because the old guy would never reacted that way. You actually are doing something in me. This is what God does through this suffering. Suffering does test the genuineness of our faith. And we suffer from lots of different things that test our faith, right? Like our own sin. How often does our own sin test our faith? whether we're willing to to repent of that and actually go a different way. Sickness, when we're sick and we're praying either for ourselves or others and we're not seeing God heal, it, it tests the genuineness of our faith. When we're struggling psychologically, financially, external things coming in that aren't good and we're like, God, where are you? Or just persecution. Can you think of a time of suffering or trial when God actually revealed in you the genuineness of your faith? It actually brought out, oh man, I am changed. Can you think of a time? Yeah, the interesting thing is, sometimes when we get pressured as Christians, everything but Jesus comes out. It's really weird. It's like an orange, imagine getting an orange and squeezing it into a cup and going to drink and it tastes like apple juice. You'd be like, that's weird. Don't wanna drink that. I wanted orange juice. But sometimes this is what happens when Christians are squeezed, when they have pressures on them or they're suffering, anything but Jesus comes out. We come out with revenge. We come out with harsh words. We don't act like Christ, church. When a Christian is squeezed, when they're under persecution, Jesus should come out. It should be the fruit of the Spirit like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self control. These are the things that should be part of when we're squeezed as Christians to show people the love and the grace of God. Martin Luther says, the Christian life is not a life of ease and comfort, but a life of suffering. However, we can rejoice in our sufferings because they are a way for God to refine our faith and make us more like Christ. That's our mission statement as a church is more people, more like Jesus. But I need to be honest here. I don't particularly wanna suffer to become more like Jesus, amen? Like just being real, I'd rather like all the blessings to become more like Jesus, right? Like I don't think I'm alone in that. But this actually demonstrates God's sovereignty and power and manifestation in our lives. Because God can take blessings and suffering and use it to strengthen and grow us in faith. Like how many times I look back on things that I've gone through in life since becoming a Christian and at the time I'm like God where are you you're not here I need you at this moment and I can't see you but then after going through those trials and looking back on it I see the hand of God all over it can I get an amen on that we look back and we see God's hand because our God is so amazing he can use good and evil to bless his children And remember, the apostles that wrote these letters in the New Testament were suffering the same things we are today, but they also suffered horrible persecution, too. And we need to remember that we're not facing persecution like that in Australia. We're not facing persecution like our brothers and sisters in other countries at the moment around the world, like India and China and North Korea and parts of the Middle East. They're suffering horrible persecution. We struggle in faith and doubt God's love in in relative comfort and peace. Imagine how much more we'd struggle with our faith if we were experiencing what they're experiencing now, our friends and family being killed for their faith. And it wasn't like the apostles were, were insensitive when writing these letters of encouragement in the face of suffering and persecution because every one of them, every one of them suffered persecution, torture. All but one, according to historians, were murdered for their faith, all but one. They were stoned, they were speared to death, they were crucified upside down, they were beheaded, they were horrifically murdered for their steadfast faith in Jesus. And the truth is, here's the truth, Jesus never promised the apostles a life on earth free from suffering. He never did. In John 15, he says, if the world hates you, Keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world, but I've chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. Remember that I told you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecute me, they will persecute, persecute you also. In Matthew 24, he rounds that up with, then you will be handed over to be persecuted and put to death and you will be hated by all nations because of me. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. They'll hate you. That's what he says. So what could possibly strengthen someone to endure that kind of life? Well, it's only the truth. It's only the truth. In John 16, Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Jesus like, guys, I'm telling you this because you will have trouble here, but you will have a supernatural peace in your heart because you're in me. And if you're in me, I've overcome the world. There is something that you're gonna walk into into the future, your inheritance, that is so beautiful and wonderful because you're in me. What else could help us endure? Well, it's only the power of the Holy Spirit, right? The power of the Holy Spirit to help us endure the pain and the suffering. It's the support of brothers and sisters in the faith. You know, I look out here. This is where I was born again. This is my family, my original family. There were people here that supported me, that called out stuff in me that I didn't believe was there. It was the love and support of the church. And I stand here today because of that, because of the power of the Holy Spirit. What else could help us looking forward to that guaranteed inheritance and it's trusting the sovereignty of our God. In Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What is he talking about here? He says to live is Christ. To live is Christ means to live is to suffer. Jesus was the suffering servant. He's saying while I'm here on earth, yes, I will suffer. But guess what? To die is gain because I inherit the kingdom, I inherit Jesus. I inherit this blessing that's far beyond what I could imagine. You see, faith is revealed to be greater than gold. is the only thing that actually can help you endure. Gold, wealth, health, pleasures, all those will fail you, but faith in Jesus won't. So what does suffering do to our faith? Well, through trials, it actually refines our faith. It purifies, it actually strengthens our faith. And lastly, it glorifies God. He says, may result in praise, glory, and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Do we know that God is glorified through suffering? You know, when Nero was persecuting the Christians, that so many people got converted because of the way that they saw the Christians act under persecution. You know, there were times where Christians were put in the Colosseum and animals were just let out to devour them, just to eat them alive. But the Christians would gather in the middle and they would be singing praises to God as the animals would come and, and kill them. And what they hoped would put everyone off Christianity, people saw that faith, saw that power and went, I need to know more about this God. And we see Christianity explode. And today, Christianity is exploding in the most persecuted countries, and the most persecuted nations. Because the way the Christians react and act in those moments of heavy persecution is actually a witness to God's power and his love. And did we know that the comfortable nations like Australia, were in decline? That the church is declining in these areas. It's almost like we need a little bit of persecution to wake us up from our apathy in the West. John Wesley says, the apostles here teaches that the trials and tribulations of this life are not a sign of God's displeasure, but a sign of his love. He's using these trials to make us more like Christ, to prepare us for an inheritance that awaits us in heaven. I believe this is a word for someone here today. You're sitting there wondering, does God love me? I'm going through all these trials. I'm going through all this suffering. I've been crying out to Him. I don't think God loves me. It's not true. You need to know that God loves you, that God is for you, that He is with you, that He'll actually carry you through this trial and you will receive an inheritance one day. That is sure and guaranteed. So this makes me ask the question, and I think ask the question of ourselves, How do we endure suffering? When you go through pain, when you go through trials, how do you deal with it? Does everything but Jesus come out? Or or does Jesus come out? Does the way you suffer, does it glorify God? Does it turn people to Jesus? Maybe when we're suffering, we need to ask God, reveal God, what are you actually doing in this season to refine me? That maybe I may be able to glorify you and people might turn to you through that. And the ultimate example of suffering, glorifying God, was the suffering of Jesus on the cross. Jesus went to the cross, a horrific scene of death and destruction, but that glorified God, so great, so majestic. Jesus goes and embraces suffering for the salvation of your soul. And that's why we love Jesus, right? Because He was willing to suffer for us. He first loved us that we may be able to love Him. Peter continues, he says, "'Though you have not seen him, you love him. "'And even though you don't see him now, "'you believe in him and are filled "'with an inexpressible and glorious joy "'for you are receiving the end result of your faith, "'the salvation of your souls.'" He says, you have not seen him, but you love him. Do we know that this letter was written to Christians that never saw Jesus, never saw the ministry of Jesus? These were Christians who got converted in a different country, miles and miles away from Galilee and Judea in Jerusalem where Jesus did his ministry. These people came to faith after Jesus' death, burial, resurrection and ascension. They'd never seen him. This is so encouraging to us because we've never seen him either. So this can, can be a letter to us. Often we think, well, if I was there, you know, I would have believed. But they weren't there and they believe and they had this, this love, this inexpressible joy that's coming up in their heart. So this letter can be to you and to me. We have this moment in the Gospel of John where we have poor old doubting Thomas. I think he gets a bad rap um, about this moment because he's like, hey, <clears throat> if, I, if I haven't seen him, they go like, they're, they're saying to him, hey, Jesus risen from the dead. He's like, whatever, until I see him and I touch him, I'm not gonna believe. I think many of us would have been like that, right? Or just me? Yeah, okay, just me, cool. Many of us would have been like that. Well, I I just won't believe until I actually see it. And Jesus actually turns up and he appears to him with all the other disciples. And Thomas just sees him and he falls at his feet and he says, my Lord and my God. Jesus says, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe. That is real faith. Not actually seeing, but believing. And here's the beauty of this. Jesus commands a blessing on that. That if we've not seen, but still believe and still love Him, that He actually blesses us. See, because Jesus is the object of our faith. It's it's Christ and Christ alone. And He says this love fills them with inexpressible joy. Inexpressible. You know, when people ask me about what God's done for me, I feel like there's no words to express that. The, the mercy and the grace that He's poured out on my life, the sin that I did for 33 years, for Him to forget all that, cleanse me of unrighteousness, and make me a new man in Christ. I'm like, how do you express that? How do you express gratitude for what God has done? They say, how much do you love Jesus? I'm like, I can't. It feels like all the words fall short. Is that a reality in your life? Is that what people say about you? That you actually have a hope, a love, a joy that surpasses whatever you're going through? Charles Spurgeon says in these verses, Peter describes the Christian love for Christ as being inexpressible and full of glory. This means our love for Christ is a love that cannot be put into words, is a love that brings us great joy. Does a band wanna come up? It's a love that brings us great joy that carries us through these times. He says, for you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. This is the result of your faith, that you'll have an inexpressible joy and your soul will be saved. This is the beauty and the wonder of the gospel, right? That God loved you, loved me so much that He was willing to come in human form, to put on human flesh, to suffer, to be hated, to be rejected, to show us the true character and nature of God to show us who God really is, a God who is willing to suffer for you and for me. And he goes to the cross. He says, I'm gonna show you how much I love you. I'm gonna show you my character and nature. I'm gonna to go to the cross. I'm gonna take on your sin and I'm gonna bury you in the grave. And three days later, I'm gonna rise again in victory over Satan, sin and death. Hallelujah. Amen. Am I the only one that's pumped about the gospel? <laughs> this is for you. It's for me. Jesus was willing to suffer persecution. Do you know how much He suffered? He was hated. He was rejected by His own disciples. He was beaten to a pulp. The Bible says that He couldn't even recognise Him. He was scourged, which was like a whip with metal bits on the end that would dig into your flesh and rip your flesh off you. And then He was nailed to a cross for you. Jesus embraced suffering on the cross, why? Because He knew His reward would be you that if He did that, that if He embraced suffering, He would redeem you, restore you and bring you back into relationship with Him and God the Father, that He'd put His Spirit in you and give you an inheritance of eternal life. How awesome is that? Jesus was willing to suffer for you. So you see, when we repent of our sin and we put our faith and trust in Jesus, our reward is Him, the living hope of the world. Trust me, we, we get the better deal here. He suffered and got me. It's messed up, old Wolfie. And I repent and put my faith and trust in Him and I receive Him. See, the blessing for eternity. So what's Peter trying to teach us here? What's he trying to teach us at the start of this letter that he's trying to teach us the beauty of the Gospel? That we have a living hope in Jesus, that now, and coming, we have an, in, an inheritance that's incomprehensible. He's teaching us the power to endure all kinds of trial. He's teaching us the love of Christ manifesting the gospel through this inexpressible joy that we see. Let these words sink into your heart, be your foundation. Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And His great mercy has given us a new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. It's an inheritance kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power. Nothing can take this away from you. This is the foundation of the Christian faith and the inexpressible love that we've received and will actually carry us through the trials of life until the day that we actually receive that inheritance and we see Jesus face to face and we are fully transformed into His likeness. Church, let God refine you in faith. Let Him mould and shape you into the image of Christ, maybe through suffering, that He might reveal through you His power, His mercy, His love, all to His glory. Amen? Would you join me in prayer? Father God, I thank you for your Word. God, there's so much truth and power in your Word that transforms lives, transforms homes, transforms communities, transforms cities, nations. I pray that over this place. God, that you would bring such a transformation in each and every one of us that we would, we would just exude you, Lord. That people would hear you in our words. They would see you in our eyes, They would sense your presence on and through us, but Lord, turn and give you glory. Lord, I pray for those here today who might be suffering. Ask your Holy Spirit to come and just bring comfort right now. Would you bless them, Lord? Now they just sense and know your loving presence. Strengthen them, Jesus. In this moment of prayer, as everyone's heads are bowed, you might be sitting there and you've never received that forgiveness of God. You've never received Jesus' sacrifice. I'm here to tell you today that that He loves you, that He died for you, that He wants a relationship with you. He wants to make you a new creation, just like He has done for me. So if you wanted to receive that forgiveness you wanna repent of your sin and turn to Christ and put your faith and trust in him, I'd ask if you just raise your hand right now. I'd love to pray with you. Lord, we thank you for your grace that is poured out upon this place. We thank you for your grace that is poured out on each and every one of us, that you have saved our soul that you have paid our debt. And Lord, we thank you for the power and presence of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you'd like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or our Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.